The scripture reading today is from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verses 32 through 47. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven. And you will receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptised, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all their things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all, as any had need. <clears throat> day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the good will of all the people. And day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The Word of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, we ask now that you would meet us, however we find ourselves in whatever state of affairs we are in at this very moment. Help us to believe that you have seen to this moment that we would be here, that you know us in all of our beauty and all of our fragmentation, and your response is always to move towards us to renew, restore, and heal. Give us grace today to be receptive to whatever it is you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brian Zahn uh, writes in his book, Postcards from Babylon, If you had asked a follower of Jesus during the first century, what's your religion? She most likely would have replied, I belong to the way. Not because it was the way to heaven, the afterlife was never the emphasis, but because they had come to believe that following Jesus was the new and true way to be human. See, for the early Christians, the emphasis was not necessarily on theological precision, but on embodied practice. I mean, it's very easy for us to individualize and spiritualize. Actually, those are really good strategies for never really being thoroughly challenged by Jesus to engage ourselves in the woundedness and brokenness of our world and seek to repair it. 
But if we individualize and spiritualize following Jesus, we can exempt ourselves often from the pain of this world. But we're called to live now in what we are calling the new normal of life after the resurrection. Today, that means looking at the radical new community that was formed. But first, a small detour. I think it's important to address that last line of this reading before we delve into the radical community. It says, day by day, people were being saved. And it's important to ask, saved from what? Because some of you might be thinking, saved from God. But Jesus did not come to save us from God, but to reveal God as Savior, a Savior of co-suffering love and sacrifice. Let's always remember that. And let's look back a few verses to the end of the sermon that Peter was giving. You will see in verse 40, it says, And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from God and His holy wrath that's coming for you? No. Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Interesting choice of words. Gives us a crucial insight into how these first Christians were thinking. There is a system, a generation, a way things are done, a status quo, a way things that are arranged. They see themselves as being rescued from in this new way of Jesus. Because Jesus proposed an alternative way of arranging society, what Jesus called the kingdom or reign of God, where the poor are cared for, the outcast is brought in, and the powerful are no longer allowed to arrange society in a way that continually enriches their lives at the expense of everyone else. This proposed arrangement of society is what got Jesus in hot water and even killed, crucified on a cross. So when Peter says, save yourself from this corrupt generation, he's saying there's a new way out of this system that we're all caught up in. It's an invitation to a new normal, life with the risen Jesus, an invitation to live in a new way altogether. Thus their name were followers of the way. So how did they move out into this new reality? That's what we're looking at as we uh, explore this during this season of Easter. And the first answer is, or one answer is, they never did it alone. They did it always in community. And I would say they developed communities based on this particular passage, uh, communities of learning, of love, and liturgy. First of all, a community of learning. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, what was an apostle? An apostle means to be a sent one. An apostle in this particular instance means that you've been chosen by Jesus, taught by Jesus, and you're an eyewitness to his resurrection. Paul in Ephesians 2 will say that the church, what he calls the household of God, is built on a foundation, and that foundation is the prophets and the apostles. So it's very important that we get an idea about what we mean when we say apostles. Because when the apostles died, people didn't just sit around and say, okay, now it's time for us to share what I think all this business is about. I mean, although the Holy Spirit continues to teach age to age, no question about it, Jesus told us that she would lead us into all truth. Jesus also told us that there are things that he didn't teach because we weren't ready to hear them. 
but we do have a foundation laid in the apostles' teaching. And to, par- to say something that I've said on here often, the apostles' teaching or our own theological foundation is meant to be a home and not a prison. A home and not a prison, because we will continue to evolve in our understanding of faith as the Spirit leads us. So these early Christians said, we're going to base our life, we're going to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, how do we access this 2,000 years later? One of the greatest theologians of the 20th century was a man named Karl Barth. He talked about a threefold doctrine of Scripture. Now, bear with me just for a minute, getting into the weeds a little bit, but I think this is really important. He said, first, the word of the apostles is revealed in Jesus, the word of God incarnate. That's the innermost circle. That's what we're really after, the incarnate Jesus. The second circle is the word of God written. That's what we have here in Scripture, which we read through the lens of Jesus as he taught us to do. And then the third circle is the Word of God proclaimed. And that's when the church gathers together, the Word is proclaimed, and the sacraments are served, that we're placing ourselves right in the core of being devoted to the apostles' teaching. Theologian N.T. Wright says it this way, the church is like the ship where the apostles' teaching is held and proclaimed and applied The Spirit of God is like the wind that animates and gives it energy. And the Scripture's witness to Jesus is like the sails that give you direction. So, easy application question for this point. Are you right now engaged, seriously enough, in the Apostles' teaching, in your search process as you're trying on Christianity or trying it back on again? And if you're already there, are you engaged seriously enough to actually be directed by the Apostles' teaching? Here's another way of putting it. Are you taking advantage of all the opportunities that City Church provides to deepen your understanding and devotion to the apostles' teaching? That's a good question to ask. There's nowhere in Scripture do we have the admonition to have a kind of ho-hum, lighthearted engagement with it. This church, our church, one of our core beliefs is that we are biblically grounded. And it's because of verses like this that we do this, that we take the Bible seriously by engaging it with curiosity and honesty. And for many of you, I know this church has been the only way that you could actually re-engage with Scripture. So we want you to saturate yourself in this story, more on that in a minute, and to see how the Holy Spirit, with her relentless energy of providing the wind, might direct you in the way of Jesus. So take advantage of classes we offer, groups that meet, book clubs, gathering here on Sundays. Also, the Newbigin Fellows Program applications will be coming up soon for the 2021-2022 class. I can't recommend it enough. There are all ways to be engaged in a community of learning. And secondly, they saw themselves as a community of love. You can see it there in the second part of verse 42 where it starts. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And then keep on going after verse 44. For all who believed were together and had all things in common. They'd sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to to all as any had need day by day. They spent much time together in the temple. And on and on it goes. 
So this is a picture of a family, the life of a family. It's a beautiful picture in this passage. But know this, this is about as good as it gets for Christian community in the Bible, because after this, it's going to get messy, as it always does. And usually the messiness comes as the community commits itself to love, commits itself to embrace radical inclusion. The community that changes the world and that changes the world is one that celebrates diversity and welcomes everyone into mutual love, respect, and service to the world. This is why Eugene Peterson calls the church equal parts mystery and mess. In Willie James Jennings' groundbreaking commentary on the book of Acts, he says the deepest reality of life in the spirit depicted in the book of Acts is that the disciples of Jesus rarely, if ever, go where they want to go or to whom they would want to go. Indeed, the spirit seems to always be pressing the disciples to go to those whom they would in fact strongly prefer never to share a space or a meal and definitely not life together. Yet it is precisely this prodding to be boundary crossing and border transgressing that marks the presence of the Spirit of God. Acts is the story of a God who desires us and all of creation and will not release us to isolations, social, economic, cultural, religious, gendered, and geographic. Every church is messy. The book of Acts portrays communities who experience all sorts of pressure. The pressure to change, the pressure of witnesses, the pressure of doing justice, the pressure of liking one pastor over another, the pressure of forgiveness, the pressure of disagreement, theological disagreement, the pressure of gossip, the pressure of assuming the worst, the pressure of being human in a world that's difficult and filled with suffering. It's all there in the book of Acts and in the pages of the New Testament. But you know what functional families do? Functional families figure it out. And usually one of the greatest ways of figuring out is simply by serving one another. I'm convinced that these early Christians got through all of their stuck places in their communal life because there was a default drive of servanthood grounded in their mutual status as God's beloved children, grounded in their seeing Christ always in the person sitting across from them. You know, when I do premarital counseling, I talk about the default drive of marriage being servanthood. For so many of you right now listening who I have taken through premarital counseling, do you remember when we talked about this? I've had many couples come back to me over the years and saying, that little bit about servanthood, I go back to that all the time. In fact, it's kind of the default drive of all good relationships in general, not just married partners. And I don't know what it will look like in each marriage or in each deep friendship. It has its own manifestations, but there are going to be times in your life when you just don't know what to do. And so you choose to serve and see the power that might be unleashed in those moments. Now, I'm not talking about being walked on. I'm not talking about certainly putting up with in an ounce of abuse. I'm just talking about an attitude of giving and not simply getting to see what begins to happen. I think it's this way 
in the community of Jesus, the church, as well. As we serve one another, we see the face of Christ in each other. I'm convinced of it. Love is experienced in mutual service to each other. Lives are changed. This is why we need you, actually, as we begin to come out of online church and into a hybrid model in the coming months to volunteer to serve. We're going to need everyone to be all in as we seek to gather together again in person. We're going to need everyone to pull together to make it happen. It's also how we fund our mission. Giving is a form of service. I know I take such joy in knowing that the finances that God has given me that I then give to the church are being unleashed into service and life-saving ministry in this church. So if you haven't prioritized City Church in your giving, please do. And if you haven't taken steps to ramp up your giving and maybe make it systematic, now would be a great time to do so. I love that it's messy because it's exactly where the mystery of Jesus shows up. I'm always drawn to that passage where Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be in the midst of all their mess. <laughs> Didn't say it quite that way, in the midst of them, but in their mess. To quote Nadia Bowles-Weber from her book, Accidental Saints, Gather a small number of people once a week to simply share a meal and pray together. Talk about your lives and what's happening in the world. Be yourselves. Extend grace. Read the gospel and repeat. Since ancient times, saints and sinners have called this mysteriously transformative experience church. See for yourself what happens. You might be surprised. I sure was. And then lastly, it's a community of liturgy. I say that because in verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And when you read that, the commentators will tell you, you'll find out that this is an actual sentence is constructed, the way it's put together, leans heavily towards a very formal breaking of bread, as in the breaking of bread around the table, around the meal that Jesus instituted on that Monday, Thursday. The early Christians deciphered that Jesus didn't just want them to be spectators, but participants in the very drama he himself was about to undertake. I mean, Jesus said this all the time. He would say to them, take up your cross and follow me. My suffering, my resurrection is not just for you to watch, but to actually share in. And so the meal that we gather around each week, you'll almost always hear one of the apostles, one of the, one of the apostles, sorry, one of the pastors, we're not apostles, one of the pastors say this, that it's in the meal that there's something in the past that we're remembering. There's something in the present that is here, that's hard for us to particulate, but that the resurrected Jesus is with us in the meal, and that there's something in the future that Jesus' resurrection is, is the breaking in of new creation, and Jesus is bringing about a day when all will be made right. See, it's a bigger story than the puny ones that we concoct to make sense of our lives. You know, the word liturgy means the work of the people. 
When they put this at the very heart of their communal life together, these early Christians, do you know what they were saying to one another? They're saying, we have work to do. We have a new purpose in our lives. We take up our cross. We care not only, uh, we, we, we not only take care of one another, we seek to take care of as many people as we can. See, that's what the early historians actually said about Christians in the first century, that they care not only of their own poor, but ours as well. This is why it says that they enjoyed the goodwill of all the people. Here's what they were intentionally doing. Rewriting their script over and over again. Re-narrating their lives in a world of competing narratives. See, I think every one of us is holding a script that we're living by. What's your script? Is it a script of status or a script of achievement? Maybe it's a script of proving yourself or maybe it's a script of shame and guilt. Maybe it's a script of fear, of anger. Maybe it's a script of maximizing pleasure and minimizing pain. Maybe it's a script of denial or of resentment. We all have these scripts and gathering each week around the apostles teaching the breaking of bread and the prayers with Jesus in our midst is a way of weakly laying down the scripts that are exhausting us and picking up the script of liberation of a God who invites me to join God in the liberation of the world. I am the beloved child of God. That's my true script. It's everybody's true script. And that's one way of understanding the mission of any church worth its salt. We want everyone to belong in our community. We want everyone to believe they are the beloved child of God. And we want everyone to become passionate about the liberation God desires for all people. I remember a TED talk from a year ago, a few years ago, actually, featuring Elon Musk. He's talking about many ideas he has about creating everything from flying cars to rockets. At the very end of the talk, though, he said this and answered the question, what's your motivation? He responded this way. He said, I'm not trying to be anyone's savior. I'm just trying to think about the future and not be sad. I'm just trying to think about the future and not be sad. I think we're all doing that. Because flying cars and billions of dollars don't address the despair. But resurrection does. Resurrection invites you to live with the vision of the future right now in the midst of all the challenges that we face, in the midst of white supremacy, in the midst of violence, in the midst of mass incarceration, in the midst of systems of poverty and inequity and trauma and all the many tragedies that oppression creates. The liturgy, the work of the people, is vital to flipping the script, to maintaining, to centering and pursuing the liberating work of resurrection that God invites us into. And so we come together each week to rehearse it and to be refueled 
to go embody it, to live it out. Learning loving liturgy, three L's, how about that? It was in some ways the mundane but powerful secret sauce of the early followers of Jesus. It's the way they lived into the new normal of life after the resurrection. And so what is required of you under each of these headings? Learning, loving, liturgy. In what ways do you need to become more serious about one of those three? In what ways can the church support this in your life? Let us know. Because San Francisco needs every one of you together, all of us, to introduce a new way of being in this world that helps us avoid thinking that the future will only be sad. And all of this, of course, is done in community, together. Together we belong, we believe, we become. Believing and betting our lives on the vision that Jesus of Jesus who taught us to pray for the kingdom of God to come on earth. For what Martin Luther King Jr. called the beloved community that radiantly reflected God's own abundance to be made manifest now. This, this is resurrection hope. To trust in God's patient commitment to making all things right, even as we seek to bring about that about as we love one another, stand in solidarity with those being oppressed, and seek the justice and peace of Jesus. A new normal, a radical new community. Let's together live into this vision more and more. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we ask that you would help this particular manifestation of, the, of your household, City Church San Francisco, to be marked by learning and love and liturgy, the work of the people, as we remind ourselves of who we are in you, as we remind ourselves of our responsibility to join you in repairing this world, as we join you in the liberation of all of life and the renewal of all things. These are big, lofty things. Bring them down into the daily reality of our lives. Help us to love the person that's so hard to love in our life. Help us to serve. Help us to give of ourselves to one another. Help us to make space in our lives that the apostles' teaching may more and more be something that fuels our imagination and lifts our spirit. Give us grace today, we pray, to be a community of the resurrection. In Jesus' name. Amen.